Welcome to Beyond the Veil. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Soma Studio Venue, located in Nelson, British Columbia. Welcome. I am here with Anita Vidya, Indigenous medicine woman specializing in shamanic yoga, offering apprenticeship with shamanism. And Anita has an incredible story and perspective on Indigenous beliefs and how we as one society can work together to heal and strengthen ourselves, the connectedness with the land, and of course, the connectedness between us all. So Anita, mm. thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. And thank you. I, ha- I have to also mention, I am loving your backdrop so much. So oh, good. You're getting a beautiful view and uh, nice backdrop that you have. So, and for those listening to podcast on the podcast, Anita is located in, um, Slocan, well, you're on Slocan Lake right now, but you're in yeah. the cusp, is in the cusp area? New, New Denver. Den- New Denver, sorry, New Denver. It's located in interior British Columbia near Nelson, um, if, if people are familiar with the, the geography out here. But uh, again, it's a beautiful day here that we're having, so it's so nice to see you outdoors. So yeah. before we get into this discussion, um, you and I had met um, to talk about where we go with all of this, because there's so much to unpack with your history, um, your story, um, your culture, and your your practice. And so we had a little bit of um, a, a pre-chat to to work on our, our direction here and pick on a few a few points that we can highlight. But during that discussion, I started to find myself getting sensitive talking about certain things. And I voiced that to you. And I, and I mentioned that I was, you know, I have sensitivities and I, I want to try lightly with areas. And, and you basically gave me this whole new perspective and outlook mm-hmm. on what I was feeling and where it was coming from. So I would love for you to um, maybe share where some of these sensitivities are coming from within ourselves when we have these discussions about the indigenous cultures about other mm-hmm. cultures um and ex- expand on that sensitivity and how we can work mm-hmm. past these ingrained unconscious feelings of shame to form healthier relationships not only within ourselves but with the cultures in our society mm-hmm. yeah absolutely thank you so much tara for the beautiful intro and um you know, one thing as an Indigenous woman and speaking my story as we'll kind of continue and talk about it later is this um, sort of how much cultural appropriation and how much people are so fearful of saying the wrong thing or wearing the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, especially around the Indigenous people. We are... Um, one of the newest um, sort of indigenous around the world um, that is closest to our generation, other than the Australians and the Aborigines, um, that had suffered from residential schools and had suffered from, you know, the lands taken away and um, a lot of stuff from the government system that took away from the indigenous people in order to get the land, in order to get control of where they were colonizing. And colonization has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And so when we look at uh, cultural appropriation, 
our elders, my elders, you know, they give us that reminder. And before I start getting into it, I just want to remind everybody that we are all from the same cloth in one form and the other. Guess what? We're all human. We are all human. No, no matter what your race, what your culture is, what your belief system is, we are all part of this human family. And that connection, that bond that we have to create where we live on this earth without that separation is yes, have respect for one another, for what their culture is and what they've um, kind of de what have has happened to them in the past. And so what I've noticed with a lot of, um, especially I'm going to throw it out there, but especially with the white race is there's this white shame that sort of looms over. And I find a lot of it to be very propaganda based that, um, you know, like they really push forward a lot of this media about knowing the things that you should and shouldn't do. If it feels right, do it. You know, people will ask me something to do, like if I want to smudge you. And smudging is where we use things like the four sacred medicines, like sage, cedar, tobacco, and um, what's that? Sweetgrass, which are the tr four traditional medicines of the North. And is it okay that we smudge? And I look at these lovely people and I say, you know, it's okay to smudge and don't feel fearful and, and, and ask about it because using smoke as a cleansing tool around the body in spaces and as a spiritual um, item to use is something that has been used for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You go to a Catholic church and you will see them. And I, I'm not sure what it's called, but they will have that, the smoking you go to um, India and they're burning incense. And so this is something that has been shared and we all need these tools and we practice them because you are in Canada, you are in North America. And if you're listening from all over the world, these practices are shared amongst people. So to be aware of why are you feeling ashamed? Because if you look at, say, say you are um, from, oh, like the white race background and that where your culture is from, you know, maybe it's Celtic. And, you know, some of the people that have suffered the most were the Celts, were the Scottish, that they were constantly fighting for their lands. And they received the same sort of thing. And you also have that within your bloodline. And it's, was it you that did it to the people? It's more about the organizations and these um, governing bodies. So it was the Catholics, the Catholic Church and the gov Canadian government that did all of these things to um, the Indigenous people here. And they were trying to take the Indian out of the child because they knew as they watched them from a distance, they would see it's like, okay, well, we've taken away their women, we've killed all of their people, and you know, we've taken them on their on their lands, but why are they still thriving? Why are they still so happy? So they started watching the tribes from a distance and they're like, wow, look at that. They it's the it's 
the family that's keeping them together. We need to break that spirit of the family out of the Indians. How do we do that? And I'm going to interchangeably use Indians um, in, in in America, in the U.S. They'll call they still call them Indians and and things like that. It's interchangeable. It doesn't bother me. I will call myself an Indian. I will say I'm going to have a powwow and. You know, but I'm also a Hayoka. So I warn people that I have this trickster energy that I will trigger people. So this is my little disclaimer about the trigger warning that if it bothers you, then that's something to kind of look at. Were you the person that took away the children from their families? And were you the priest? You you weren't. Was there this um, understanding that there was no, um, you know, it was happening in front of you, but it was through propaganda, through media that everybody was like, it's okay because you're, you're helping to save the indigenous people. And that's what your ancestors believed is that they were doing it to save them from their savage self. Is it your fault? Is it your ancestors fault? No, it was the media and the propaganda that actually um, corrupted the minds of people to give them that white shame now. And it's not your fault. Um, but I digress. So I'm just kind of leave that there. Do you have any questions around that? No, it's perfect. And, uh, okay. you know, you and I even, again, spoke before we uh, jumped into this discussion. And I told you about my parents or my mo- my mother. Um, which mm-hmm. she went through here in um, where, where I'm at right now in uh, in the Kootenays. And um, the children were taken from their parents to be yeah. put in school. And there was a lot of trauma that came from that. But here I am still feeling more sensitive towards the Indigenous culture for some reason. Yeah. And I don't know if it is because of propaganda or because of what I've seen Mm-hmm. Um, also seeing uh, in different areas, the re- reservations as well, there was all this sort of uncertainty and there was a lot of shame growing up because I also grew up next to a reservation as well. So yeah. I had that close proximity, but there was always this sensitivity around around it. And so I never really knew how to handle it or to deal with it in the right way. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And I, am I allowed, do you mind if I touch a, a little bit about the Duke of in, in the sure. area that I'm at? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, the reason why we got into this conversation was, um, you know, Tara explained that she comes from the Duke of lineage. And I was like, did you not know in new Denver, they brought the Duke of fought against the Canadian government and didn't want their kids to go to school because they're like, we need them to be with the family to help with the farm and do all these things. And so the Canadian government did the exact same thing as they did to the indigenous people. They took the children away. And here where I am in New Denver um, is where they interned these children. And there are stories about these parents that would be outside of the gates and they were starving the children in one form and they would give them bread give them food and make sure that they knew that they weren't sort of left. Um, because they knew. And this is another place that the Japanese during World War One um, was a World War Two, one of the world wars <laughs> to forgive me in my history um, that they interned a lot of the Japanese because they're like, you're you're uh, 
a sleeper agent and, and things like that. And they're like, actually, we're just here to live. And, you know, as humble and beautiful as Japanese people are, there is a still some of those generations that are still living here. And so a lot of people will be misled about Canada being this uh, okay country and that they're so polite and really nice. And I've studied the history of Indigenous people and I've started to study the history of um, Canada and it's the Canadian government. They had Chinese as slaves to put in the Yellowhead Trail. That's why it's called the Yellowhead Trail. They have, um, you know, they interned the Japanese, they interned the Dukabors, they interned the Indigenous people, they starved them to death. And, you know, we can all look at, yes, a lot of children had gone missing and this is kind of a bad, um, you know, I can't believe that they did that. And they don't teach you in schools. They never taught. I didn't know until I was 18 years old that I was because um, I'm adopted. So I'm I'm known as one of the 60 scoopers. And it was a, a term that was coined by a woman um, where after residential schools or from the 60s, they started taking all the indigenous children, claiming that the parents were not fit to raise their children in sort of this one way. And it was one way. And I'm going to say that this is the the term that was coined by John, um, Johnny McDonald, who's on the $10 Canadian bill. And he's one of the most corrupt people um, through the Canadian government. And they talked about how they would take the Indian out of the child, the Indian agent. So um, I lost my train of thought there. So which is kind of adopted, adopted. Yeah, adopted the 60 Mm -hmm. scoop. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Um, And I was one of the last kids that was adopted. And so the adoptions Um, They took them out of the native home and then put them in European um, families. So I actually speak German as a second language. And my parents always told me I was adopted, that I was native. Um, I didn't know where. I didn't know my family. They gave me a little bit of information. But I, you know, and there was a little bit of a shame, sort of, that, like, I'm native. But my parents wanted me to feel like I'm native, you know, Whereas if you look in some of your past, um, say about maybe one or two generations before me, if they were said that they were native and they were sort of in a white um, society or European family or whatnot, they would deny that they were actually native um, because it was you actually had the shame to be native because of the way that they corrupted the mind to say they're savages and they are this and they are that. So. I just, the history of your culture, I think is one of the most important things. So in the medicine wheel, it's always important to look what your bloodline is. Half of my bloodline is Italian. And I found out more about where I came from in Southern Italy and they were rebels and they would fight against the Roman empire when they were trying to come and take over. And then there was this missing piece of like, what would happen to the indigenous people? You look on Wikipedia and be like, I don't know, they just disappeared because they were all slaughtered. So all the indigenous people throughout the world have disappeared. And, um, you know, unless they were sort of protected. Um, yeah, but I'll stop there, I think. <laughs> wow, that's that's really compelling. And it's 
Yeah, it's the when you mentioned about those being adopted and not even being comfortable with who they are, having to completely deny who they truly are and where they came from is is really tough. You know, that that really weighs mm-hmm. on someone's soul, you know, their mm-hmm. their true being and yeah. But it's yeah. it's it's nice that we're starting to move out of this right recognizing it and having these discussions and your work as well too so we'll go into um some of your adversities that you've gone through and maybe just share um about the story of your mother and and being an indigenous woman and how this Mm -hmm. has played into the work that how it has formed you to who you Mm -hmm. are today and is motivating your work as you move forward yeah thank you yeah. Um, so for it's a good segue as well, because I wanted to touch on this point, because I know that there's people that are adopted out there. There's there maybe their parents are adopted and the the sense of not belonging and abandonment. And I think, Taryn, you and I kind of touched on this a little bit is we have this break like my family and I are close but I've always been the black sheep because I don't really walk as like a German person. I speak German as a second language. I kind of have this good work ethic. They are my spiritual parents that were um, gifted. You know, you always make a contract before you come from the higher realms into this earth reality. Okay, well, I'm going to be adopted. My birth mother will be this person and my birth father will be this person. And, um, the go coming up in the German family, I've always been in this in-between world. It's like, yeah, I have more white skin, so I can actually be more um German and be accepted if I go somewhere. My other adopted sister, Joyce, who um passed away a few years ago, um, she always she used to like scrub her skin. And she's like, oh, I just want to take this darkness away because she was half black and half white. And she just wanted to be part of this family, but she wasn't. So there was a sense of not belonging. And it's not that my family will always say, oh, you're always, you always belong. But it's actually this yearning that you have. And that is what this yearning to figure out my culture. And it almost wants to like, make me kind of tear still. And I've been doing this work for over 10 years. I've been um, teaching yoga since 2012 and got into shamanism in 2014 and sitting with elders um, trying to figure that out. So as I was brought up in this German family, um, I hid my gifts and I suppressed them by drinking and um you know, going in that sort of party mode, because I had something inside of me. And I can, I know that when I was about like, in my teenage years, like 12, um, or 14, I had this sort of felt like I was shape shifting, but I was in this connection underneath the full moon and I had no idea what was going on. And I almost went into this like animistic sort of place where it was like taking over. And shortly after that, I started getting into like smoking pot and decompress, like um, creating this suppression of my gifts. And in my twenties, I still kind of 
you know, partied. I was always like kind of into tarot and horoscope and things like that, but everything was missing. There was something that was missing. In 2001, I met, um, I went through the adoption agency to look for my biological family. And on New Year's Day, I get a call so randomly. And of course, it's like I'm living in Burnaby in Vancouver. And this woman from the adoption agency in Alberta calls me and she's like, um, your brother just signed up and he wants to connect with you. Would you like to like give him your phone number? And I was like, wow, that is so odd. Like, how did you even find my phone number in Burnaby when we had landlines? And second of all, it's like New Year's Day. So I'm like, whoa, Earth Angel like comes <laughs> in to introduce me to my brother. And in that time... Um, then I found out that I, that I was uh, one of six and um, we ended up meeting and I don't want to get super into that, but I ended up meeting the rest of my family. And I, um, my brothers are very like a little bit more reserved and quiet. And then I went up to sort of Cold Lake, Alberta, and that's the reservation. So I'm Chippewan Diné and the Diné, uh, will go from the Arctic all the way down to the like Mexico border. And they were very nomadic. And a lot of the expansion of the Diné, um, even the Silk Nation and these ones that are in this area, they have words in their original traditional language that are Diné. So most sects of these um, indigenous tribes come from the Diné. They are said to come over the Barren Strait from Mongolia because the Diné language also has words that um, reside from Mongolia. I sometimes talk in a little bit of a spinning circle, but I always come down to the funnel in the end. So just know as a storyteller, it is one of our guests as Indigenous people that we kind of go off into all these little um, sections. So just to keep you on your toes of listening, and then I'll come back into that story. So when I went out to Cold Lake, Alberta, um, my grandmother came banging over at my brother's door and he's like 18. I was 21. And she was like, I want to see my grandbaby and we're going to take her. And so she comes and like scoops me up in her like truck with her husband at the time, Jim, and starts driving me all around like cold lake. And I'm like kind of in this complete culture shock because I'm like out in like no man's land and if you've ever been up to like northern Alberta really not much going on there cold lake's kind of nice but still it's like you know this this craziness of you know she telling me all of these things and then she's like and then here's the reservation that you know we're from and here's where the elders used to drink and your great grandmother used to drink in these bushes to drink her pain away from leukemia and she would kind of like tell me all of these different stories and like my and my mom and you know and my mom at that time she was living in the down, downtown east side of Vancouver and for those who aren't um, familiar with what happens in the downtown east side it's one it's known as one of the biggest urban reservations in Canada it's where a lot of um, indigenous people will travel all over Canada to live in Vancouver because it's on the west coast and it's warm 
and they can live on the streets and they have, you know, you can live on the streets and still be taken care of. You know where to get the food on this day. You know where to get this. You got your your money coming in and you meet up here and there's all these um, resources that they have. And it's a community. So the downtown east side, they are, they have a community. If I walk around there, it's like they know Big Mama. And so my mom um, was known as Big Mama. And uh, after my grandmother dropped me off and I went back to um, see my family, I went back to like Edmonton um, to my adopted family. And I remember just standing against the wall and just like bawling my eyes out because I was just like, oh my God, like this is where I'm from. This is where my craziness comes from, my like wild nature. I was like, yeah, I called my grandmother, Ava, and I was like, crazy grandma, you know? And then I met my aunties and they're also like, I'll smoke like an eighth a day and like have drinks. And they're just like these wild women. I was like, holy crap because people are just like whoa Anita like you've got like this intensity about you and this energy and I also live a life of like zero fucks or I try my best not to so that happened in 2001 and I retained a relationship with my family but very minimal because it was a lot of um, culture shock and a lot for me to do and I remember the second time I went up to go meet up with my grandmother before she passed away. And I, and I said to her and I was like, Oh, like what, what is your spirituality? Like, what is your base? Like, like, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I believe in the mother Mary and Jesus. And that was what kind of like threw me back. And I was like, fuck and excuse my language. But I was like, we have lost our culture. It is completely like, gone and I'm like I grew up in a Lutheran church and that was the one thing that I was like you know what I need one day to sleep in I'm like dad you're not taking me to church I'm like we're done like you want me to go to German school on Saturdays as a teenager you're not making me go to church too on a Sunday because I'm a Leo I love to sleep and you know take my time and relax and so um it really hurt my heart my soul like my my yearning as an indigenous woman was kind of crashing down at that point and I'm like I'm not going to find my culture by going through my family because they took the Indian out of the child and in 2012 like for a few years I was practicing yoga and I'd go all the time and I was like so um it helped me to just feel good in the body And my teacher and my friend at the time, she's like, well, why don't you come and do the training? Do a 200-hour yoga teacher training. So I go and I, you know, take three weeks and I do this intensive down in Vancouver. And my, um, I had no idea it was a spiritual practice. I had no idea. (laughs) I did not really understand any Indian philosophy or anything like that. And I was like, oh my God, like they're like, I'm like asana. I'm like, I'm a power yogi. I like the body to feel strong and good. And they're like, yeah, connect your body, mind and spirit. And you know, like, and it was like, sometimes you'd hear about spiritual people and it's like kind of like frizzy and it's like, oh, feel about the light and da, 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 da. And I know I brought this up before and it was like, you can go and sit and like study the sutras and you can go and, and sit and be in nature and and feel so good. 
But then the guru and your teacher, even the medicine people, they're like, okay, yeah, you feel like you're in your center now. Now you go off and you start a family and you Mm -hmm. go have children and get married. And those are the two biggest challenges that you're having in your life. And it's like, okay, yeah, because it's not easy to be in this human life. So from there, I started running a yoga studio in Squamish. And by that time, I already, I was a mom um, to, she must have been like three or four years old because she was, yeah, so she's 17 now. I, uh, so I, and then I had a yoga teacher that was um, teaching at the studio and somebody was like, yeah, why don't you ask Christine Selda? So she's my dear friend and dear teacher. And And she apprentices people in shamanism. And that would be something like the medicine wheel. It'd be great for you. And so I I approached her and I was like, hey, Christine, would you like to come? um, This is Rascal Rue. He's my pooch. Um, So I asked her to, um, to get into, to do the medicine wheel. And she just had a baby. um, So she was taking a couple of years off. And then she approached me to come in as sister and help her. And most students um, and assistants would have to do the medicine wheel first before they would come. And I bring this up because there was like this in-between world that I always find myself. I'm like, I can be a German person, but I've actually like lost my culture over here as a native person. And so I'm like kind of in between. I'm like, oh, they're kind of crazy. And oh, they're too like uptight in this way you know like regiment (laughs) German and so I ended up saying yes to being an assistant even though I've never been a student before and I got put into this role and so I remember during the medicine wheel it was like you're not quite um a student and you're not quite an assistant so here I was in this in-between world Mm -hmm. and trying to gather those two things And during that year, um, I started meeting more spiritual people within um, Squamish. And this one person was like, what do you mean you've never been to the International Indigenous Leadership Gathering? You, as a Native person, should go to this. I'm like, I've been searching for elders and searching for a while and asking and trying to connect with people. But unfortunately, the culture is so broken, it's hard to, to once... Once you're in it, then you know everybody. And so I got brought to this Indigenous gathering up in Lillooet. And I met these, so it's like hundreds of people. People came from um, to speak from all different nations, like the Lakota and these pipe carriers. Um, so Phil Lane Jr. and Reuben George from the Tooth and Daryl uh, and Teresa Bob and um, all of these really well-known Indigenous people um, come to this gathering. And I didn't know anybody. And I remember sitting at, um, so I, I always help. Like I'm always working in the kitchen and I meet these wonderful people. And at one point I'm sitting and I'm listening to uh, Morris Little Wolf and Betty Betty Ann Little Wolf. So Morris is a Cree, um, her, uh, Cree from sort of like the Hobima, and then Betty Ann's from like the Blood Tribe down in southern Alberta. And I remember him talking, 
and he's uh, standing on the stage and he and he's looking out at everybody and a lot of people that attend this yeah sure they're native but most of them are non-native um because they have this interest and they're they're the spiritual understanding of something's like um we want to learn more and so i'm listening to morris and he's talking about being in residential school and as he's li- he's a little guy, he's like, I'm always a little tyke. And I was sitting and I was standing there and, and I looking out the window and I notice all of the older kids and they're running along. Um, they're running out and they're running away. And then the cops are called and the cops are following them. And then me as a little guy, I chased after the cops so that I could also leave the residential school. And he talks about his adventure until he gets like caught. And he's like maybe five or six or something. And, you know, at that point, it was like such a bloodline trauma that hit me. So it reverberated within myself. And I just find myself gushing and bawling my eyes out. And that's when I was like, I, I went up to Betty Ann and Morris afterwards and I, and I looked at them and I was like, I am looking for an elder. I am looking for somebody to teach me the way because I, I, I'm adopted. And at that same time, they were getting called to the main house up to Daryl and Teresa's place. And I'm not sure if it was that year, the first year, or the second year. And they were going to blanket Betty Ann and Morris And Betty Ann, she just looks at the whole family and she's like, she's like, thank you so much for this beautiful honoring. But I want to let you know what happened right before we got blanketed in. And blanketing ceremony is one of the deepest honors that you can get as an Indigenous person in these sacred circles. And she's like, we were approached by Anita, who doesn't have her culture. And we as Indigenous people that are brought up our way we can't leave them behind and we have to remember to take them and to show them our our spirit and to show them because they're the ones that are yearning and i keep hearing about you know a lot of these reservations where the voice of the spirit is going on deaf ears but there's us that are these 60 scoopers that are are fighting we are fighting to find our culture and to regain and come back even though we were brought up in this sort of white world which has been such a blessing it has been such a blessing and so that really spiraled me to start going to Sundance and sitting in sweat lodge and really building relationship with these people so um, though they adopted me, um, spiritually adopted me as one of theirs. And, and then I started hanging out in Lillooet a lot more where I became relations with, um, the Tsleil-Waututh. So Reuben George is a descendant of Chief Dan George, um, who's quite well known in the West coast and even Hollywood. He was an actor and stuff, but, uh, Reuben fights a lot against the, trans mountain pipeline and so you'll you'll hear and see him but he's also a sundance chief and it took me from that time in 2014 to 2019 so five years and knowing that my mom lived in the downtown east side of vancouver and i lived in squamish that um my mom lives there and she's down and out has a disability she's in a wheelchair i don't know she's doing drugs or drinking my my family didn't really know um my aunties and stuff and 
And I was in Vernon visiting my sister, my adopted sister, or she wasn't adopted, but my like, yeah, just call her my sister, the people that I grew up with. And I remember leaving them and just having this like, like these epiphanies, like when they come down on you and you don't follow them, like you have to follow them. I'm the one that follows my spirit. So I, I get this like huge, I start crying. I'm like, oh my God, I miss my family so much. And then spirit comes in. It's like, you need to go down to the downtown East side right now. And you need to go find your mom now. And I just like, listen, and this is like an eight hour drive pretty much to get to Vancouver. I text my friend. I'm like, I'm not going to arrive till two o'clock in the morning. Can I stay at your place? And she's like, absolutely. I go and I stay at her place. I get up at like six o'clock in the morning because it's like, you need to go find your mom now. And I'm like, I don't know how to find my mom in the downtown east side other than like leaving up notes on bulletin boards and maybe talking to people. And if you've ever been in places that has a high amount of homeless people, it's some people get really scared of it. I I'm okay with it because every human has a story of why they're there. Every human has, you know, a, a, a beauty about them. Even if you're like a billionaire, you are no different in my eyes to somebody that is living on the street. And so I start putting up um, these notes on the bulletin boards and I go to the downtown East side woman's shelter and I'm just like standing in there and there's like, you know, the doors open and people are getting food and somebody's really high. And then there's like, you know, all this kind of chaos is like, and I'm like, oh my God, like this is so out of my reality that I have no idea what is going on. And the social worker kind of looks at me. She's like, hi, can I help you? And I look at her and I was just like, um, I'm, I'm looking for my mom. And I think she hangs out here sometimes. They're like, oh, what's her name? And I was like, Darlene. Darlene Obishan. And I was like, they're like, no, hold on. Let me ask. Her name was Sarah. And she was this cute little Filipino woman. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know Darlene. She always comes in the wheelchair. She sits over there. She comes on the phone. And she's got her mailbox sometimes. And she usually comes in once a week or every two weeks on this day. And like, and uh, and they're like, they both look at me and they're like, well, who are you? And I look at them and I just, just burst into tears. And I was like, well, I'm her daughter and she's my mom. And they both like their eyes like just widen and they look up at me and they're just like, oh my God, my dear sweet darling, you know? And they're like, oh, okay, like let's, let's take you. And so they bring me downstairs to kind of talk to like a counselor, semi-activist type of person. And, you know, it's actually bringing a lot up in me as I kind of talk about this. And usually I've told the story so many times, um, but I feel more, I feel it quite more today. And so we go downstairs and we talk and we kind of make up a plan as like, okay, well, we don't want to shock my mom to let her know that like uh, we're in contact and stuff. And so they wait until, so I leave and um, they arrange for me and my mom to call, like uh, to get my phone number and stuff. And she tries to call, they call me afterwards and they're like, your mom just left. She was really upset and just yelled at us and said that we didn't have like the right phone number. And like, cause, and, um, 
And it was because she didn't dial a one to, um, from the landline to get to a Squamish number. So she left in a big huff and they're like, okay, we'll have to try this again. And I said earlier that we were, I was part of a six, um, there were six of us that my mom had and my grandmother had eight children. And out of the six kids, my mom um, didn't keep one child and she went to residential, she went to day schools and my grandmother went to residential schools. And I'm going to come back to this other part. I just want to explain um, when my grandmother uh, was young, um, she was put in residential schools and she always, she had all these children and uh, my mom was third in with her first husband who she fell in love with. And he, my grandfather died from a um, logging accident and got um, smushed by a tree. And after that, the second husband came in and she, they had like three or four more kids. And one, when my, my un oldest uncle, actually, um, my grandmother was raped and he was a child that was from a rape. And then um, my three aunties, including my mom or my two aunties and my mom were from the same father. And then the other four were from the second husband. When my grandmother had leukemia, all the kids were taken away and they were put into foster care um, because my nobody would take care of them. And through the foster care system, when my mom was 13 years old, she was taken into, um, and these are rumors and it's not for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised, but they were, she was put into a pedophile ring and at the age of 13, she was impregnated and she was taken away um, by the putative father and the putative father took her to Ontario and made her have the baby and so she had the baby and then they sent her back to um northern alberta on a bus by herself and you can just imagine at 13 and by the time by that time in day school when she was like eight or nine she was already getting groomed by the day school priest and teachers and um you know like i am quite a you know, fine looking female, you know, like I thank my mother for that beauty. And I thank my father as well. You know, it's like, we do have this beauty and I could just imagine at such a young age and pedophilia is something that is very rampant that nobody really talks about. And it's a, it's a scary um, reality of how easy it is to groom um, children and be careful of what's happening in the world right now. Are they grooming your children to like be okay with all the things that are kind of going on? You're mentally not like um, have the capacity until at least 21. So that that had given that was my oldest sister so I have an older sister who was taken by the father and um so she came back brokenhearted without a child and to a place that you know like demoralized her soul and she always wanted to have children but her mental state was not there because it was it had already been her Indian like her her reality her life source basically was kind of taken away from her and so we were all my uh, other brother was adopted out into a european family so he's also a 60 scooper and then i was kept in the family or she tried to keep me but she 
kind of left me and she couldn't actually care for me. And I was born with disaligned hips and I was supposed to go to the hospital and she never took me there. So I was taken away um, at a very young age. And then I cried and cried with one foster family. They said, she's too much. Then my my family adopted me, um, fostered me, and then adopted me. So my mom had six kids. Um, and then they were all taken away. And so every time a child was taken away, I can just imagine how much of her soul kept on like being ripped apart. Her heart is just being broken. And you drink, you have solvents, you do whatever you can to um, get out of the state of what has happened to you in your childhood. And so my mom and I connected, she finally called and she kept on wanting to make these appointments or these meetings, these meetups. Yeah, come to the downtown east side. I'll take you up for lunch. And she wanted to always wait for that one day, which is a Wednesday, that they get their money payout. And she's like, yeah, come, come, come. And then I'd wait until the Wednesday and she would never call. And I was like, okay. And then finally, she's like, yeah, come, come for Christmas. Come for Christmas. So staying in Vancouver, I wasn't going back to, um, to Alberta. So I was in Squamish and I was like, all right daughter's going to dad i'm i'm going christmas day i'm gonna go um sorry low battery gonna go down to the downtown east side um and meet my mom and she's not calling she's not answering she's not calling and i was like hey what happened to her and she gave me her um husband's or like her sort of partner's phone number they didn't live together Jesus and he was like yeah yeah come down come down he's like meet me in Oppenheimer Park so I'm go down to Oppenheimer Park and like it's tent city and you know it's like there he is it's like one o'clock in the afternoon and he is half cut like he is gone I was like wow okay so we're like he's like I'll take you to your mom's place and he takes me and there's like people shooting up heroin and like you know and he's speaking Spanish he's Guatemalan and, uh, you know, basically it's like, you know, they're like, what are you doing with this, this young, beautiful girl? You know, you could just kind of like understand what's going on. And basically he's like, you know what, shut the fuck up. Like just, you know, we're going to go find early. So we get into the apartment building and it's like, obviously like a, not a halfway house, but it's uh low income housing. And so he's banging on the door and he's like calling Darlene. He's like, Darlene, Darlene, come open the door. And like, like he's like oh I can hear her through the door she's in there and he's like trying to keep me quiet so that we can surprise her and then he like steps back he's like yeah sometimes she gets like this on crack cocaine and I was like oh I'm like okay noted and then finally I hear through the door that she can't open the door that she's been stuck so finally I have to go get the manager and the next thing you know this big kerfuffle somebody else comes in and then she's like and I find her and I walk into this room and there's shit piled everywhere. You've never seen something so disgusting, like hoarding. And then I look over to my mom who's laying there in this bed and she just like looks at me and she's like, oh, my baby, you've come to find me. And I remember looking down at her and just going, wow, like this is my reality. This is, this is my mom live, laying here in her own shit and piss in a in a, an apartment that doesn't have like a kitchen that works anymore That's like everything funny. is there's cockroaches everywhere there is something moving 
in the like in the stuff and I was like what was that she's like oh it's the rat it got in a while ago and I was just like looking and then it the ambulance come the paramedic she's like 300 pounds like she's overweight and she's like can't move she's like gone delirious in, in some way and she can't move and so then they have to call the firemen and then they're, they're like and everyone keeps on coming at me tell us about your mom tell us about your mom and I was like I don't know this is the first time I've actually ever met my mom and they're just like oh okay so they're kind of like backing up or whatever and and I was like, you guys just have to give me a second here. And I'm like, and I get into the car and there's on my Instagram, um, I have this actually where it's like finding mama. And I saved it in my story highlights because I was like, I was so mad. I was so mad. I was bawling my eyes. I was, I was like, how fucking dare they? How fucking dare that government? Those fucking people take her take the Indian out of the child fucking rape her in a pedophile ring take all her kids away and expect her to be okay and then you just leave them to die and rot in the downtown east side how dare you I was so livid I was so mad because it really hurt my heart it hurt my soul that they did this to the indigenous people within this within Canada but you just imagine look at like what they've done to slaves all over whether it be Chinese or Japanese or like even white people like they used to steal um, kids from the orphanages in the UK and sell them for slavery like human trafficking child trafficking and all of this stuff is happening to this day it's just a little bit more hidden we don't see it so don't be blind and ignorant and then I yeah and that's how I met my mom and it was on Christmas day in 2019 and uh, I was going to Phoenix and I, you know, and then I get this call from the the social worker at the hospital and they're like, your mom's really upset. And I was like, why? And she's like, her husband got murdered on the first day of uh, New Year's. And so I have to go to the hospital to find my mom who's super upset that Jesus that I just met got murdered over a beer. He, they're like, you want a beer? And he's like, can I have a beer? No. And they stabbed him. And so he died. And so she was upset. And she got out for a little bit, but then had to go back. And then um, and then COVID hit. And she kept on calling me. She's like, Mom. She was like, daughter, why won't you come in? I think sometimes she would call me. We'd reverse the roles. We reversed the roles. Like it was like I was the mom and she was the daughter. And it was like this interesting sort of thing that would happen because I was the caregiver. And you have to when you the homeless people they love to go to the hospital because they get taken care of they get given the food and they get washed and kind of like these things and you know if they know that you're there to be there for them they will um kind of take care of them better because there is such thing as patient abuse especially for the homeless people when you see people that are homeless know that it's not always their choice that there are a reason why things like that happen and so COVID cut, uh, the lockdowns shut everything down. I wasn't allowed to go to the hospital. And then I get a phone call when I was at my elders up in Lillooet. And they were like, you need to come to the hospital now. And I was like, well, I can be there in a couple of days. They're like, no, and you know, your mom's going into palliative care. Her kidneys are failing and she's going to pass within the next few days. And I was like, oh my God. So I drove down to Vancouver and I spent the last 
three days with her. Um, and she wasn't awake at that time. And I was really fortunate to have sort of like, uh, my sh- like shamanics, we work with death, we talk about death and that transition. And we actually have this medical industry that really strips away from our right to be with our dying to be with them um, until like for days, we can have a dead body within our house for days and to allow that that to happen. And I, I was there to share with my biological family through, um, you know, video of my mom in her last couple of days. And I held her and I sang to her and I um, used my ceremony to, to open that up. And um, I mean, it kind of like, that's like the summary and like, um, sort of the story of me getting into the work that I do and looking into that because of that journey of finding my culture and finding my mom. And then once I did, as I was being told in my intuition was like, or my higher self was like, you need to go find her now because six months later, or not even a year later, she dies. And that was the time that I had. And I was so blessed to to be able to she gave me the the gift of life and i gave her the gift of death or that rebirth so that she could be free of the suffering that she had endured in this life and her purpose was to bring me into this world to share my story to share ways to heal um these traumas and you know as this story may trigger you and you may feel this like guilt or the shame. It's not your fault. It's these institutions that put this on top of you. It's like those three characters, the religion. And I'm not saying all religion, but those are very dogma. It's got to be this way. That's why there's always wars about like what's right and wrong. There's a difference between spiritual and religious. Spiritual is like this being out here in this land and and really honing in your higher self and connecting you into the earth and that is a big part of my of my journey of um of my healing because it's taken me a long time to um to heal and I'm still healing I am not perfect as practitioners as facilitators and stuff like to open up people love being taught by me is because I do open up my vulnerabilities. If, if you go to a teacher that doesn't share their vulnerabilities with you in some form or the other, or say, Oh, I'm totally healed from everything. And I'm like, fuck, no, you're not. Otherwise you'd be in a million pieces off in the ether somewhere. Like, don't give me that shit. Don't give me that shit. We're about shaking the tree and going into those shadow, into the shadow work. And that's why I think it's like, so good of the work that you're doing like if you yeah it's 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 important work like the healing that happens within ourselves like within myself I am healing the rest of my brothers and sisters throughout all the human family but through the indigenous because it is one generation um, that this has happened and for me to be in a place where I'm at is quite is profound you know I have to be proud of myself I have to be proud of myself of my walk of where I've what I've 
been, I've, I've been very privileged. Trust me, I've got white privilege. You, you don't be, like, yeah, I, I get it. But if you're going to go to somebody um, for, for healing and they've had so much privilege in their life, it's like, we're meant to have challenges in order to be wiser and to share what we've gone through. But yeah, so like, yeah, that's, yeah, some of the story, most of it. So. Oh, thank you so much. I, I need to decompress from that myself. I was finding it myself going right into it and yeah, very emotional. Thank you so much for sharing it and um, being vulnerable with it. And you're right. There's this, this, it's almost a bit of a facade. I like talking about things like this because and feeling it and getting real about it because this is our life. And if we're hiding from it, we're suppressing it. Yeah. As Carl Jung said, those who have the most light have even more darkness. And yeah. so we're, it's all an illusion in even our social platform or social sphere. We all want to show up, not all, but it is sort yeah. of a, a culture, cultural and societal acceptance if you show up a good person. And you're yeah. behaving and you're smiling and you're doing good. And so there's not, there is this, this false perception around how we should feel, how we should act, who we should be. Well, you want to show the world your best self. And yeah. so there's that illusion that has been created around this where our life is not like that. And those healers who have gone through this, what you share, those are the ones who have it figured out, even though you're still figuring it out, but you get mm -hmm. more of that, that life process of, of those hardships, the, the highs and the lows, those contrasts of life. And you, you feel it, you've lived it in such a, in such a drastic way where you have that scope, like you have that full range of knowledge and wisdom and understanding and yeah, we're still figuring it out, of course. Yeah. It's the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. 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 So mm. do you want to go into a little bit more discussion? How are you doing over there for yeah, time? And yeah. Such? Yeah, I'm good for time. I'm just looking at um, what... I can't even see, but yeah, hopefully it doesn't just like shut off all of this. I know you I mentioned think... battery power. So we'll, we'll, we'll go. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Here. That story yeah, yeah, was worries. impeccable. It was amazing. Beautiful. Um, let's quickly talk about, so there are two things that, so you did talk about some of the work that you do as a, as a teacher facilitator, but I also want to talk about, you mentioned the four races of the yeah. fa human family and then yeah. the dark age, um, as well. So if you, if you can cover those, if you can't cover it all, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the study that I've been doing, um, you know, since I got into yoga, obviously I almost failed my yoga teacher training, not understanding like the philosophy or, um, sort of the sutras or the pantheons of, um, of, uh, of India, of Hindu Hinduism, um, because it is very, very deep, deep, deep training knowledge and a lot to kind of soak in and, um, you know, I, a lot of our teachings are, are oral teachings. And, um, once I started sitting in the sacred circles, got to learn more about sort of the original medicine wheel of it's like the medicine wheel of the human family. And it, it, it's, uh, the four races of, um, the human family. 
And so when you look at some of the indigenous uh, circles that they have, and a lot of the foundations of healing centers and um, that are in like in penitentiaries and things like that, it's divided into, into four quadrants. And in the, maybe I'll I don't know why I always start into the north which is really always interesting but I feel like it's our gateway into the uh, into the ancestors where the spirits kind of come in and out of the east and so the north is is the white race and um that race is the element is fire and it is the white race and the the tablet that um resides is in the in the Alps and they were given, they were supposed to watch the element. They were protecting the element of fire and use it wisely. And that was, you know, where they would kind of trade. And so it was like when the human family, we, everything used to be in balance and all of the races would have these elements that they would share with one another. And it got to a point where all the race was, some of them were like, well, actually I can do this better than that race. And I, I I'll just, take what they have and not really give it in return and um so the white race was working with the element of fire and it was kind of this like iron ages and the dark ages um that they the industry started coming up and so they because you see of a lot of how the that age like the medieval times and the, the swords and stuff there was quite that imbalance and then, so now if we move to the East, it goes into the yellow race. So the sort of our Asian brothers and sisters and their element is um, air. And so the yellow, they would, you know, they started looking at um, creating more things. And so they started polluting more of the air. So if you look in sort of India and, and, and China, there's a lot of this air pollution. So they weren't really able to take care of it. Same with like the North. So the North is about like doctoring and the East is about for um, the yellow is about forgiveness and Thanksgiving. And in the South is the Red Nation. And the Red Nation is sort of the Americas, all the way from like South America to North America. And their element is Earth. And we are actually one of the last uh, races that all of the other ones may have um, sort of failed. So I might come back to sort of the Red Nation. And so the the um in the west is the black nation so it's like um africa and in that area and their element was water and so when you look at all these different lands it's like africa is like has a drought and there isn't a lot of water and it's sort of this disparity in it and the north it's like you know a lot of industry and like overusing the fire so there was a lot of pollution because of the fire and all of the the um factories and stuff and then you know adopting it into sort of the 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 yellow and that taking over and so as the founders of like the south or the nation the red the earth and it's like they're the last race that has a chance of taking care of trying to find the like rebalancing of the red nation and so the red nation is the element earth and um and so the the tablet is in the hopis um the yellow is in the kilimanjaro so each tablet there they kind of take care of and in the what no the west is um kilimanjaro 
And or I have to remember those two. I wish I had my cheat sheet. I'm trying to remember all okay. of the things. It's like so, but it's very fascinating. You don't hear a lot about the four races of the human family. It's likely you can find it online. This is oral teachings that I wrote down from two of my teachers or two of my elders, both named Daryl. And so you were kind of interested in sort of like the Kali Yuga. So it basically we're trying to figure out like um, during the time of the Dark Ages. So Kali is um, sort of the Dark Ages. And so we talked about the revolution of one uh, year around the sun of the earth going around the sun is one year. It's 365 days. But each Yuga is one revolution around this like sort of black sun or the central sun that our whole universe kind of goes around. I have 10%. It goes around sort of, and it's about 21,200 years. So it, and we're at that age at that time and it'll take about 200 years before it starts changing. So we look at 2012 and they're like, the Mayan calendar is going to end and everything is going to be destroyed in the apocalypse. And it's like, is the apocalypse kind of happening? And it's like, yeah, look at all the crazy shit that's been going on. And there's always been this uh, mind, this war of the minds. And so it's the trying to, mess with humanity so we have been in these dark ages and so as we go from kali yuga so when there's one revolution of the central sun around the central sun we go into sacha yuga and when i learned that in the when i was doing my like the indian philosophy and study in hindus um i think it's in the vedas and they talk about sacha yuga and i was like how do you go from the dark ages into the golden age and once I started kind of contemplating, I was like, actually, it's like the dark ages, once it's kind of coming over and you're kind of changing into the golden age, it's like this great awakening that kind of happens. But in order to have that to happen, there is going to be a mass implosion of what we think is true. And so right now it's so I'm trying to re, uh, re, change my mind of all the things that I've learned. Mm -hmm. And I know that fear of money is probably one of the biggest fears that people have. The number one fear that most people hold with them themselves is actually death. And death is one of the most beautiful experiences that we can actually have. It's our own grieving of that person dying. But once we go off into the spirit realm, we're like, oh, wow, this is really nice. And there's still work to do on the other side. But the golden age and how we get there and like this, like changing our way of thinking. And I was like, right, okay, look at the currency of love. How do we live in this world and try to get all of the races? And so um, the Hopi prophecy talks about um, the rainbow warriors. So there's a lot of quotes and memes that you might see out there. It's like when the last tree has been cut down and the water has all been poisoned, people, human humans will realize that they can't um, eat money. But it's not, that's not the true sort of pro um, prophecy. It talks about um, that's when the rainbow warriors begin to rise. And now that we're all such mixed bloods, we're all rainbow warriors. We are all rainbow blood. We are not different. We all bleed the same. Just because our skin looks like I don't meet a lot of authentic people. 
Um, somebody's driving up behind me here. Um, I don't meet a lot of authentic, um, like pure blood people. I know that there is some that are out there, but there's not so many. So as, as we, um, I might go for a little walk here, but as this time comes, it's up to all of us to, um, to be the ones that are going to lead forward to um, be the earth keepers. And the Hopi prophecy talks about when the South and the North of the Americas connect of the, of the red race, that's when the rainbow warriors are going to begin to rise. And the teachings that come from it um, are the ones that are going to help to rebalance, recalibrate earth um, and to create us, to move us forward into Satya Yuga, into the golden age. And so I'm just going to kind of move forward into some of the, um, the teachings that I do just to kind of summarize, like um, at the ending of this podcast. So we're um, the teachings, the mountain shamanism that I teach is of from the Peruvian people known as the Caro. And the Caro, um, as you know, or you may or may not know, um, they're indigenous of um, Peru. About 500 years ago, the Spanish came all to, uh, they came down to South America and they started killing them if they did not change into believing into their Catholicism and to take over their spirituality, their religion. Um, so they did the same thing, wipe clean the indigenous people, um, either by murdering them or uh, like uh, brainwashing them into their religion. And the Carol, they were mountain people and they had ceremonies from the time of the Incan lineage. So they believed to be the children of the sun of the Incan. And they, they kept themselves in the mountains and they hid for 500 years until they were watching like the barometer of Machu Picchu to of the human spirituality. And their prophecy says when, when the spirituality goes beyond halfway of the mountain, then you must come down off the mountains. You need to start teaching the ceremonies. You need to start teaching, you know, this way of life because otherwise it will be the destruction of the human family. And so they did. And so they are very willing to share their medicine and are give the blessings to people to go forward and to share, um, uh, this type of shamanism and it's quite beautiful and so as I've been for the last 10 years sitting with indigenous circles in sweat lodge and in um in Sundance and moon lodge and I have permission to teach them because I am of, of red blood um, they do keep a lot of it very secret uh or they keep it it's like you can sit with us and you can listen but you can't go forth and teach. Whereas the caro is totally the opposite. Um, so the apprenticeship that I teach is called the medicine wheel. And we meet up four times in a year. Um, and we go through the directions, the cardinal directions of the medicine wheel from Southwest, North and East. And it is a healing journey of self. 
that starts off with the individual moving in in the south where we look at um, sort of the traumas that we have in this lifetime and then once we move into the west and it's looking at our ancestors and our bloodline um, and how to clean up these rivers and as we kind of move into the individual in the north it's more about the collective and starting to say yes into that commitment to spirit and in changing how we look into this world and into this life um, and to be good earth keepers and you receive transmissions and you learn about ceremony and you know how to hold sacred space and and this deep connection with this earth and and so in the east we look at the visionary and start looking at the stars and um, and learning to look from a shaman's lens or looking from a different way. So the difference with shamanism, so mountain shamanism is not a, uh, we do not use psychotropics. Um, it uses sonic driving and, and breath work, um, body dance, like the four healing cells of the shaman is storytelling. It's, um, dance, it's song and it's silence and, you know, you may have heard some quotes where people will go to the medicine man and they will, and the medicine person, not the medicine man, but the medicine person will ask, well, when was the last time you sang? When was the last time you danced? When was the last time you sat in silence and contemplated? When was the last time you told a story? And, you know, those are illnesses that we have um, by forgetting who we are. And that is the age old question is like, who am I? Why am I on this earth? Is it to be in the rat race where we try to look at ways to get money to live on this earth. Mother Earth gave us this beauty. Like, look at this place. Even this beauty gave us this food to eat and this water to drink and all of it for free. And here we allow people to control us by being afraid of ourselves, being afraid of people, being afraid of um, money, this illusion that isn't even true, like that whole fiat system. So I'm just like really excited for this whole world to just crumble and shake. And it's like, I know people will go a little bit cuckoo over the whole craze, but it's like, man, just to believe that we're going into this golden age and how do we do it is by way shores, by us, by you and me, um, sharing these gifts that were gifted from our ancestors and from all these long line of light carriers just to go forward and pave the way and say, you know what, come with us. We're here to show you the way. We're here to announce that we are here in love and peace and we do not need to fight. You don't need to fear because guess what, brothers, sister, aunties, uncles, I will take care of you, your children. Let's come back to our tribes. Let's come back into our community and like, this is such a deep, deep healing that I had for myself. And it's so profound that, um, that passion that I have to make sure, not to make sure, but to help people and lift them up along the way. And it's not always for everybody and you take or leave, but there's seeds that get thrown at you the whole time, um, during this training and it's a year process. And I only take in one um, I do one intake a year and we always start in the South and that usually starts in the spring. So I might have one in February and another one in March. And I'm looking to start um, in Cherryville, Lumbee area. So outside of Vernon in the Okanagan. And then I'm looking at the East Kootenays around Kimberley area. 
Um, I do have some dates set, but, um, and the limited space. And I don't charge a lot because I do believe in the currency of love. I offer scholarships, um, one for an indigenous person, a single parent, and also youth, which I will take between the 16 years old. And I may increase the youth up until 30 years old, but right now it's 25 and um, to be negotiated. And, you know, testimonials is, yeah, it changes your life. Um, yeah, so that, and I, and I do teach a kick-ass shamanic yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> Which I hope to join at one point. I'd love to, yeah. I'd love to check it, it out. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anita, thank mm-hmm. you so much. That was incredible. Thank An emotional too. roller coaster ride for me the entire time. <laughs> I was captivated. So I hope the yeah. viewers caught some of that as well, or listeners as well. And yeah. um, so where can people find you? I'm going to include information, your links, okay. website information. But if you want to give a shout out to any areas to sure. contact you through. Yeah. Um, so you can find my Instagram. It's Chippewan Danae. Um, but best place is probably my website because you can find more information and apply for, um, you know, workshops or the apprenticeship, but chippewandanae.me and yeah, provide the links and then you can find the Instagram there. I'm not on Facebook. I might be trying to get back on it. And it's kind of like that. And, um, yeah, I, I did my training through the Shamanic Yoga Institute with Christine Selda. Um, and she's a powerhouse, one of my best friends and, um, love them all dearly. You know, if you're in the coast, they're doing a training as well. So I'd like to honor her and the teachings and like comes from, you know, where she's gone and all those, you know, we don't forget the people that teach us and, um, you know, it goes beyond, 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 um, but yeah, that's where mostly you can find me and, um, send me a message or follow me on Instagram and I'll try to be a little bit more captivating on there, but, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's just becomes a lot, but I enjoyed really just having this chat and thank mm-hmm. you so much for allowing me to share my story and, um, where I'm at now. Thank you. Thank you so much, yeah. Anita. I look forward yeah. to your yoga class in the future Thanks. and everyone get a hold of Anita, um, get in touch. I'll leave the contact information below. And uh, again, cool. it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you, Tara. And have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you for joining another episode of Beyond the Veil. Make sure to find me over on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And keep an eye open for more episodes as we dive into the depths beyond the veil.